Davis steps under center. Gibson and McClendon behind it. Davis with motion by Richard. Will get the ball to McClendon. He leaps. Oh, he doesn't get in. He fumbled the football. Carolina holds. The game is over. And Carolina has won the game. Finley to throw. Over the middle. Intercepted. Wolfuck again. Wolfuck the other way. At the 30. The 40. Wolfuck to midfield. Miles Wolfuck with the pick. The heels on the doorstep of an enormous victory. Left side of the line. Hood standing to Williams' is right. Williams going to throw. One-on-one. Davis has it. Touchdown. Carolina wins. Carolina is the Coastal Division champion. Bernard fields it at the 26. Heading to the far side. Gio at the 35. Gio, he's at the 50. No, he's not. Yes, he is. Gio, he's going to take it for a touchdown. Are you kidding me? Connor Barth for the possible win. Snap. Spot. Kick away. High enough. Long enough. Hey guys, and welcome to another edition of the Heel Tough Blog Podcast. It's your host, Anthony Pagnotta, with you guys as always. And we are here on one of the most chaotic days in the history of college football. It is the opening to the free transfer window here in the 2022 season for college football. And it is absolutely crazy. We're going to tell you about the guys that the Tar Heels have lost to the portal. We'll have a quick discussion about what the Tar Heels are losing in some of those guys. Um, and uh, we'll, we'll, of course, update you if there are any, even while we are recording. Uh, this is something that is having to be monitored literally minute by minute uh, with everything that is going on. It is college football free agency, and it is uh, unlike any free agency we have ever seen before in any sport. So we'll have you covered with that throughout. Meanwhile, we have to get into the Tar Heels' 39-10 loss in the ACC championship game to Clemson. An absolute embarrassment in that game. Uh, the Tar Heels early in the game looked, you know, looked like they had at least a chance to fight. So we're going to dive into all of that. But uh Man, this is uh, this is as crazy of a day as we have seen around Tar Heel football in a while. It's crazy to think that not even three days ago, Carolina was playing for an ACC championship, and now, as we sit here Monday evening, we are looking at at a, a, a you know nine guys at this point that were on the team and most of which dressed the other night that are no longer a part of Toriel football. And that's something Mac Brown told us when getting ready for the game on Friday. He said, look, we'll be competing for a conference title uh, on Saturday night. He said by Sunday morning, Monday afternoon, there will be a handful of guys that will be in the portal moving on. And that's just the reality of, of college football in 2022. It's not just happening to Carolina. It's happening to virtually every program right now across the country and you know it it was just something that 
Um, you, you were hoping that when this moment came, it would be coming off Carolina winning an ACC title or even at least competing for a conference championship. And sadly, that didn't happen. The first quarter and the first part of the second quarter, I thought Carolina was competitive. They were they, they were there with Clemson. I thought they had made an impact in the game. Um, and then about the middle part of the second quarter on, it was it was very clear who the better team was on Saturday night in Charlotte, and that was Clemson. And that was something that, you know, I, I said when we previewed the game, I said, I think you're going to get a motivated, invested Clemson team. And when they're motivated and invested, they're a really tough bunch for us to beat, or for anybody in that matter to beat. And I was concerned about their their physicality and their depth up front on both sides of the ball. And it, it, it really came to fruition in this game where Carolina couldn't, couldn't block Clemson's front, and that took Drake May and the offense out of rhythm for a third straight game. And defensively, we couldn't get enough of a pass rush on Cade Klubnick once he got inserted into the starting lineup. And he was able to have time and make the throws that 18-year-olds probably shouldn't be making at, at, at this stage of college football. And that was uh, the biggest reason why I thought Carolina – Got uh got got blown out in the ACC title game. Yeah, no, you're right. I was with you. I, I thought this team was in really good shape early. Uh, they drove right down and scored. They got two stops against Clemson. Uh, with with DJU in there, and we were we looked like a team that was settled in, ready to go. Um, it looked like a Clemson team that was maybe still a little bit hungover from what happened the week before, and. Then they made the quarterback change, and that completely changed everything. Um, Carolina outscored in the final 46 minutes, 21 seconds of the game, 39-3. Nearly a point a minute for Carolina in this game. I I mean, there's just – there's no – there's no way to even really put that into words – a guy that had not played more than a half of football came out and moved the football on you without any issue. It's the third straight backup quarterback that's done it to you. And if you actually go back to Carolina's first loss of the season, they technically lost to a backup quarterback in that game as well because he did not start the year as the starter. Tyler Buckner was the starter for Notre Dame the first game of the season, many may remember. So Carolina this season against full-time starters, 9-0, against backups, third stringers, four stringers, Carolina is 0-4. It doesn't doesn't make any sense, and it's a huge issue. I, I think the biggest problem for Carolina in this game was the turnovers. And the first one, I think, kind of set the precedent for the first half, kind of put Carolina where where they were at. And that was the fumble on the exchange between Drake May and Amari and Hampton. Not really sure exactly who gets the full blame on that one. I think they kind of sharing it. Looked like just it, it, Drake waited too long to try to pull the ball or – Amarian was was supposed to take the handoff and did not close his hands around the football. But 
Carolina fumbles the ball. Clemson jumps on top of it, and they score. That came after their first score of the game. And in a minute six span, Carolina went from leading the game 7-0 to trailing in the game 14-7. I thought that set the tone for the first half. Then in the second half, Carolina comes out. They get the ball first, and they don't do anything. They give it back to Clemson, but the defense comes up with a stop. Carolina then drives into the red zone, has a chance to cut the lead to seven. And on third and goal, Drake May rolls to his left, under a little bit of pressure, gets out of it, and goes back to his right. Plenty of time for things to develop. John Copenhaver, not really wide open, but open enough. And Drake throws easily his worst throw of the entire season to... Nate Wiggins, who returns it all the way for a touchdown, and that seemingly ended the game for Carolina. Drake would turn the ball over again, uh, trying to go for Antoine Green in the middle of the fourth quarter, Uh, and then, of course, he was pulled on the final drive of the game in favor of Jacoby Criswell, but, man, this uh, turnovers to me were really the biggest issue for Carolina, and it was not even necessarily the number, more so the timing of both of those humongous turnovers. Yeah, it, it, it was just it was just inopportune time. Not that any, uh, not that any turnover is 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 you know is there's a right time to commit one. But the fumble, you know, if if that doesn't happen, I, I feel like it probably at least staves off what was coming. I, I I don't think if Carolina doesn't turn the ball over in that situation they're winning the game. I I I don't think that. I think it would have prolonged Clemson really taking over the game. And then the one that 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 Drake threw, you know, that was the first time all season long. I legitimately said WTF as he as he, as he made a play. Yeah, I mean the one that he had against Georgia Tech was head scratching too. It was just a bad. First off, like that one, it was it was a bad decision. It was a long throw back across the field, like it was being asked to be right, intercepted. Right, right. This was just he like, just missed him. He just simply missed his guy. And, and you know, like in that situation, but this is where he felt the pressure of a defense that was starting to struggle. Because if he misses them, Mac Brown probably takes the field goal to still keep it a two-possession game, you would imagine. Yeah, you would have tried to get some momentum going for your guys. Yeah. Get some confidence more than anything, and it didn't happen. And and once once that that pass got intercepted and they took it back for six, it was good night, Irene. And it was just something that, you know, this offense for the better part of the, of the year – had done a really good job of not turning the ball over because of Drake, because he wasn't throwing interceptions. But uh, the the last couple weeks, he's thrown an interception in, in all three games. You factor in the fumbles that have been lost as well, and you know Carolina just isn't good enough to overcome those type of things. They're just they're just not. And you know I I I think that got highlighted on Saturday in. In the worst way possible, because you gave a Clemson offense that hasn't had much juice all season long. You 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 just gave them so much life, and they were able to capitalize on it, and that's why they were able to effectively really blow you out and make this game over in the middle part of the third quarter. Yep, and I think one of the other big things that tra- that that sort of transitioned over from the previous games, because look, I mentioned the interception that 
Drake had against Georgia Tech. Now, the one against NC State was not his fault, but that diving interception by Tanner Engel was late in the game, and it allowed State to kick the field goal that, you know, ultimately, if they don't kick it, Carolina could have possibly won the game in regulation. So, those are the types of things that have really hurt Carolina down the stretch. That's been coupled with the struggles in the red zone. I mean, dude, look, we sit here and praise this team and Phil Longo mainly for finally getting over the hump in the red zone. First 10 games of the year, Carolina was as good as it got in the red zone. Um, I, I remember talking with Isaac Shade, who uh, you know I, I, I guest host his podcast with him, um, Locked on Tar Heels, usually the Friday edition when we preview games and everything like that. And there was a point in the season where Carolina's only times they had not converted inside of the red zone were on kneel downs at the end of games. That is completely changed now. Carolina is now nine for their last 17 inside the red zone. And that is just in conversions. That is not touchdowns. In, tu- in terms of touchdowns, Carolina has just five touchdowns in their last 17 trips inside of the red zone. And the other night, just one of their five trips in there resulted in a touchdown. I, I think part of it is definitely play calling, but I think I think part of it is execution as well. You know, we talked, you, you said that the Clemson defensive line really just went to work on this offensive line for Carolina. I thought they did, but I thought where it really showed up was inside of the 20-yard line. I thought there were times Carolina was just absolutely embarrassed, especially in run-blocking situations. I thought in between the 20s, they were pretty solid run-blocking. It wasn't great, but it's hard to be great against a team like Clemson that is just so talented up front and at linebacker. But I thought for the most part, Carolina did some good things running the football in between the 20s. But then... When they got, you know, when they got into the red zone, it's it's just as if everything completely changed, and it was it was an utter disaster down there. Antoine Green, uh, I thought, had a chance to catch one uh, on on what ultimately ended up being a Noah Burnett field goal um, in the second quarter. He had a beautiful fade route. I, I thought it was a great throw by. Drake May, and that's one you just have to come down with. Great play by the corner. Have to give Nate Wiggins credit on that one. He had a he had, he had a tremendous night, but I thought that it was kind of a combination. I feel like Phil Longo is receiving a lot of the criticism here when you do have to look at the players and say they simply are not executing things down there as well. Yeah, it's it's one of the things that it's really confounding because this offense had big play potential during the most of the season, but this was just an offense that was methodical and would work the ball up and down the field and execute inside the 20s. And that's how you know you have a good offense because when the field shrinks, it's harder to, 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 you know, to call plays and stuff like that. I think the biggest reason why this offense struggled in the red zone was the running, the run blocking in the in, – Inside the 20s wasn't where it needed to be. You weren't creating the holes up front. 
And I think the only thing I have to, to question about Phil Longo was why did the tight end involvement dissolve as the season grew longer? They were a big part of what this team did yep. early on in the year. And a big reason why was because you were without Josh Downs, you were without Antoine Green, so there was that you know there was that needed importance. Well, it seemed like once those guys kind of came back in full, and those and those two guys started doing what they were doing, and look, they both had the ability more so of Downs than Antoine Green to take over games, but they just became afterthoughts. Really, after that Wake Forest game, they their involvement in the offense has been little to none. And it just doesn't make any sense when you have a guy like Bryson Nesbitt, who who's a guy that you know is a matchup problem. You can match, you can you know you can move him around the field. Kamari Morales is just a big body where he could box out defenders and carve out space. He has the most touchdowns of any tight end in program history. So it, you know, like, I, I think that's, I think more so than anything, like. Of course, every play call is a bad play call if you don't execute. Yeah, yeah, but, but, yes. but you know, like for me, like if there's one thing I would ask Phil would be, look, there was there was success. It was tried. It was it was you know it was it was proven successful. But why did you go? Look, and look, I get it. You got guys like Josh Downs and Antoine Green. The natural inclination is to throw those two guys the ball. Well, the defense knows that as well. The coordinators know that. They're going to game plan to take those guys away. You've got other guys that have proven to you they can make those type of plays. You've got to utilize them, make your offense more diverse. That didn't happen, and you saw an offense just completely melt down inside the red zone for a third straight week. Well, the other thing that I think you know is frustrating for a lot of people in terms of Phil Longo's play calling, and I've seen this a lot, and you have brought this up as well, is he runs a lot of stuff to the short side of the field. Yep. And he's done that a lot a lot in the red zone primarily. Um you know cuz one of the things that I brought up and it, this was where this point was kind of hammered home again this week. I don't understand why Carolina does not try to run outside of the C gaps at all. They will never run off tackle this year. And I, I, I just I just do not get it. I, I understand that you are, you know, supposed to – the strength of your offensive line for the majority of this season has been inside. But I, I just – you got to at least try to go to the edges. I, I thought, especially on the left side of that line, I thought that you, you had – to at least try it, to keep defenses honest. Because I thought you saw, especially the other night, teams would simply just load the box. And when whenever you would try to run inside, they would just bull rush right through the middle and knock you down in the backfield for no gain or a loss. So... I don't know. I I know that you kind of pushed back a little bit on that when we were talking about that inside the stadium. But to me... I think in order for this offense to be effective down in the red zone, one of the things we saw back in 2020 that they did so well was they would get Michael Carter on the edge. Hell, they would even get Javante Williams on the edge. They didn't do that this year. They never did with the, with Elijah Green, and it made no sense. Yeah, no, I think there was a lack of trust to being able to hold the hold the edge uh, in in those run fits. Some mini pod breaking news as we're making our way through tonight's edition of the show. Uh, Tony Grimes has entered the transfer portal. Um, not really a big surprise. I think you could see that trending 
in that direction. There was just a lack of trust with him and the second, you know, and, and, and Dre Bly, Gene Chizik. He didn't dress the other night. Um, big loss for Carolina as he's been one of the better recruits that we've landed in program history. But I think that just shows you where the holes did lie for this Tar Heel football team on offense was that they could run the ball, but it was in between the tackles. And there's nothing wrong with that. Like, in theory, your best running teams are the ones that can run it up the middle. And and, and you're right. But, but the problem is, is that, you know, you started facing defensive lines that have the ability to negate that and, and, and really, you know, minimize that ability. And you've got to be able to counter that and get off tackle. And, and Carolina can. Um, it's something that they really struggle with altogether, I feel like, is not, not only is getting to the edge, but being able to pull guards and stuff like that. Like, that's something that this offense has made a living on under Phil Longa when the run game's been really great is pulling a guard out and maybe helping that that inefficient tackle in, in the run game get out and, and, and really be a factor in the run game. And, and that just didn't exist with this offensive line. This offensive line, I think, responded – and played really well at certain times this year, considering you know some of the environments they had to go play in, some of the injuries this team faced. Uh, I think what we saw as the season moved along was that it was just a limited group. And um, once once they kind of reached their ceiling, that was all they had. And you faced defensive lines that were able to attack the weaknesses, especially on the right side of our offensive line. And it really took Carolina's not just a running game, but their passing game out of rhythm. And that's one of the biggest reasons, if not the biggest reason, why this offense has been a shell of itself the last three weeks. Yeah, there's no doubt about that. And, yeah, we're going to have you uh, covered on this edition. We'll definitely talk about Tony Grimes in there. That's now the second starter from the secondary that has entered the transfer portal today. And that one, that's about as big as it gets. That is a massive, massive loss for Carolina because now you lose a guy not only at corner, and and I think, to be honest with you, at corner, we saw the other night that I, I think Carolina just knew that he was probably going to be leaving and they were going away from him and preparing as if he was leaving. But more so what that does for recruiting in the state of Virginia. Carolina has, in, has recruited extremely well in the state of Virginia. And his dad has a ton of pull in the state. So... I'm not that that is going to be something to monitor here over the next few months and throughout this this next year because Carolina has a ton of major targets in the state of Virginia. He was a big part of getting those guys on campus. So this is a big loss in many many ways for Tar Heel football and we will of course have to talk more about that, but really quickly back, you know, to the game. You know, I think the offensive line just kind of focusing on them even even more so than you know we talked about the struggles that that they had the lack of trust that they had in them well they've shown you here down the stretch of the season why there's there's a lack of trust and in this game all five starters for Carolina on the offensive line allowed at least two pressures on the quarterback uh Drake May one of the biggest things a lot of people saying why is Drake May struggling as bad as he is it is as simple as his offensive line has simply fallen apart in the final three weeks of the year. And yes, they are playing better defenses. There is no doubt about it. 
but it seemed like the issues that this offensive line had against Georgia Tech really just crippled them for the entire season. The team as a whole never seemed to recover from that game, but especially this unit. It seemed like they lost their footing there and were never able to regain it at all. And that that's that's a huge part of why Carolina is where they are at today. William Barnes in this game graded out at an 18.0 in pass protection according to Pro Football Focus. Awesome Richards 46.3 and Ed Montalus 48.6. All three of those guys below 50 grade in this game in what was the most crucial game for these guys to step up. I thought early in the game, they looked pretty good. Mm -hmm. But it seemed like really after that turnover, the the, the fumble that gave Clemson the ball back and put them up 14-7, to that was really the end for this offensive line group. And from there, they settled back into what we had seen from them the prior two weeks. Yeah, and I think it really just goes back to really a, a culture and a mindset that still exists within the program. And it's it, it's like, it, it feels like doomsday that when something goes wrong, it just compiles. And that shouldn't be happening in year four under Mac Brown. Um, you've made a coaching change at that position. You upgraded that, pos- that, that, that coaching change in a lot of our eyes. But, you know... That, that that was something that I don't think we really thought it was going to linger over from Georgia Tech. I think we really expected this team to bounce back and respond. Where if we really look at the you know the the, the makeup of this football program the last four years, that hasn't been who they are. Um, you know, Mac Brown has said like one of the reasons why they've been so inconsistent is that they struggle with. You know they 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 struggle with with prosperity and they struggle with adversity. So when things are going well, they don't know how to handle the the good things. They did a much better job of that this year, up until that Georgia Tech game where we spent a whole week as a program just you know campaigning for Drake May to be in New York for the Heisman Trophy. And then on the other side, whenever things would go bad, you 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 had games that would. I mean, look at. Look at the Virginia Tech loss last year. Look at the Georgia Tech loss last year. Just completely derailed your entire season, and that's what I think this Georgia Tech loss did. I think because it was such a uh, such such a shock, you were twenty one point favorites at home. You built a seventeen point lead, and it all went away. And for some reason, they could never they could never recover from that. And that's. That's something that's got to change within this program. That's why Clemson has the the DNA in their program. That's why their their you know their football character, their uh, their 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 competitive character, whatever you want to call it. That's why it's so high because they 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 can handle the highs and they can handle the lows. And th- this team, for the most part, I thought handled the highs as well as any team we've seen since Mac Brown came back. They they didn't get uh, until the very end. They didn't get caught up in all the noise, but when the when the bad things come and those things happen, they have a really hard time of responding, and that's got to be the challenge for this group next year. Because I think it's not 
it's not a lack of talent. I think there's talent on, the, on that offensive line. Mm-hmm. I think there's depth on that offensive line. I think this offensive line can do a lot of different things in a, in a, in a positive way. The mental aspect, though, has got to change because the mental – the, the the mental aspect of the game is just as important as the physical. Carolina's got the physical tools on its offensive line. They don't have the mental tools right now to be the type of the type of offensive line we need them to be for Drake May and this offense to function in big moments like they were in on Saturday. Yeah, well, and I think one of the biggest things that they have to do here is they, they have to hit the portal hard. At, at offensive line. I, I don't think there's any way around that. I, I I agree with you. I think they have done a solid job of recruiting talent there. That was never the issue that Stacy Searles had. Stacy Searles' issue was development. And that's that's a problem for a lot of the guys, you know, right now that are in the program, just in general, that they are I, I you know, wide receiver, quarterback, those are spots where Carolina has developed guys. But they just they have not been able to develop the guys where they need to the most, which is where the game is won on the offensive and defensive lines. And I told you, look, everybody's pointing fingers at Tim Cross, and I think, look, he 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 deserves to go. The numbers can prove to you all that you need to know about what the issues are right now for the defensive line. But it's also a strength and conditioning thing. Brian Hess has to go, guys. I know there are a lot of people that are trying to push back against this move, but this was another game that showed that. They cannot handle the physicality. It's just, it's not there. And that all starts with what you do in the winter, in the weight room, for those guys up front. It's it, it, Look, part of it is a mindset, and that mindset is built in the weight room. The other part of it is how you're built physically. And it just doesn't seem like a lot of these guys are built the way that they need to be built up front. They don't look like some of the other teams that you you know that you see throughout, even the ACC. And that's a thing that Carolina has to get changed. I don't think Jack McNell Jr. is in is in danger of losing his job, but this was not the way that he needed to finish this season. Because I thought first ten games of the year. There were a lot of positives that you could build on with where this offensive line was going. They were at least trending in the right direction. They were middle of the road. This team is probably going to finish outside of the top 100 in both sacks allowed and tackles for loss allowed if this trajectory keeps going. And that is unreal considering that they were middle of the country closer to the mid-60s range just a couple of weeks ago. That's how quickly things have fallen off. And if they want to win the bowl game, this is where they're going to have to win in order to give their quarterback a chance to get back to being the guy that we saw him be earlier in the season. Let's flip over to the other side, because I thought yet again, the lack of pressure in this game continued to show up. And I thought I, I I thought early in the game, Carolina got after DJU. They made him uncomfortable. He missed a couple of throws, but I thought Carolina did a good job of, you know, winning early on, especially in the run game. And they did for a, a majority of the night in the run game. But there was a point where Clemson just said, "We don't need to run the football. We can just throw the ball because 
they're not going to pressure our quarterback, and the secondary is still extremely hit or miss at times. This this defensive line, it's I cannot believe how bad this defensive line is. In the final ten games of the season, Carolina had ten sacks. To put that into context, Georgia Tech had six sacks against the Tar Heels. Over half of the production that Carolina had from the Notre Dame game on. And you easily have more talent than Georgia Tech has on the defensive line. It's coaching. It's a weight room issue. And it goes back to everything that you talked about with the mentality. The other thing, though, I think, I mean, Gene Chizik deserves a lot of criticism here as well. How did you not send more pressure at Cade Klubnick throughout the night? I thought there were way too many times where Carolina simply rushed four or even three. And it it just, it didn't work out. This team has proven throughout the year that that is not a winning strategy with this defense to drop eight into coverage and try to cover. Yeah, no. um, About the defensive line, I've tried telling you all season long, they're just not very good. Um, I hate being right about that, but I I think that's really come to be proven to fruition. I, I I think the thing about Gene Shizik that I think is the most frustrating First off, is it's it's our inability to adjust on the fly. It's like we have to get into the locker room to make the adjustments. And look, for the most part of the year, that that worked because you made adjustments at halftime. Your defense came out and played much better in second halves. Didn't quite happen the last couple weeks here. The biggest thing I, I think, and maybe I'm wrong on this, I want I want us to start being the aggressor. It feels like we. We react to whatever the offense is doing. We're never the ones forcing the issue on that side of the ball. We're never the ones saying, no, 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 no. You got to react to what we're doing. Yep. How we're covering. We're all, always playing reactionary football. How, to be honest with you, they don't really react to anything very well. Not not, not any change they don't react well to. And, and again, I think that, that comes back to a mentality standpoint. Like, we... We we want we want big time football here. Like if we didn't want that, we wouldn't have we wouldn't have hired Mac Brown. There wouldn't be the money that's been invested into the program. There wouldn't be the financial backing that the fan base has done where they're filling out Keenan Stadium every Saturday for four straight years. Like that wouldn't be happening. But we need we we need that we need that mindset from our coaching staff and our players. And, and and I think that was one of the biggest differences the other night was that was that Clemson treated that game as if it was life or death and, and they forced the issue. And and we had to play we had to respond to what they were doing on when they were on defense, we were on offense. We didn't respond very well. Well it didn't happen with the with us. For for some reason when DJU was in the game for the first two drives, we were aggressive. We made him look like the sh- quarterback that he is. You can bleep that out. But then when they changed the when they changed the quarterback, what what changed? Why did we why did we stop doing the things that the first two drives caused three and outs? Because they do this. They've done this all 
season long. And they do not prepare. We saw it against Georgia Tech. The team clearly did not prepare for Tyson Pumachon to come in the game. And when he came in, after the first couple of drives, you saw the team panic. And you saw Georgia Tech start to move the football. And and we've seen it all year long. And it's not even a change at quarterback at any position. It is as simple as giving up a third and long. Giving up a long play down the field after holding a team in check for, you know, the first few drives. Anytime there is some sort of adversity for this team, it completely throws everything off on the defensive side of the football. Offensively, look, they've adjusted to adversity. They did it for a majority of the season, especially during that middle stretch where they went on a winning streak. But since then... It really, both sides of the football, but especially defensively. This team just cannot adjust when teams throw a different look at them. And look, the the, the quote after the game from Mac Brown, I, I, I mean, I don't really, there, there's, not, there's not much that you can really say about that. I don't understand how you come out and say that in a post-game press conference. <laughs> and look, you could say, well, how is he supposed to prepare? For Cade Klubnik, I, I I know there were a couple people that asked me that question. Okay, DJ, you completed twenty eight percent of his passes a week ago. I mean, look, but the f- people brought up the fair point that there is not much film on him to go off of. Somebody asked me, well, what are you supposed to do? Go watch, go back and watch his high school film? Yes, yes. Now, is that what your main film study should be? Of course not. But that should be something that. At some point during the week, you have a meeting about, you watch a little bit of film, and say, guys, we have to at least be prepared for the chance that we could have this guy in the game. That what we've been preparing for for the majority of the time here, we may have to shift off of that. Here are a couple of things to remember about him. Mac Brown, from what he said in the press conference, and again, this is what he said. They did not prepare for Cade Klubnik at all because they had not gone away from DJU the entire season. That's the problem with the quote. It's not that they didn't prepare for him to be the starter. It's that they didn't didn't prepare for him at all. And midweek, Brandon Streeter, the offensive coordinator from Clemson, said that it came right out and said Cade Klubnik is taking snaps with the ones for us. He There is a chance he will play on Saturday night. He was told on Sunday he was going to play. Right, and of course, look, you did not know that. Dabo did not make that public, nor should he have. Dabo is not stupid, believe it or not. He doesn't seem like the brightest fella in the world because he still hasn't figured out that the transfer portal is actually a real thing. Maybe today will help him figure that out. The, the, the but thing, still. The thing that happened on Saturday was Clemson's coaching staff trolled Carolinas. They they flat out told uh, told them directly and indirectly, you're not smart enough to, to first off have prepared for this, and you're not good enough to adjust in the game. Well, they watched what their former former quarterback did to him. Tyson Pumachon used to play at Clemson. They probably went back, watched that tape, and saw how when he came in the game, 
everything changed. So flip it's, of a switch. You know, um, I'm not going to go scorched earth like we did after the Notre Dame loss. Um, next time, Mac, lie to me. Just, just, just don't, just don't say anything. Just say, Cade came in the game. We didn't respond the way that we needed to. Like, like I, I we I'm, didn't react well. I'm tired of hearing back to back years we didn't prepare. Because that's what that's what what happens. And here's the thing: most teams can't prepare for that. Because again, you don't have a ton of film on him. You have the Syracuse game, and you have he came in against Notre Dame and threw a pick and played against Georgia Tech. So, I mean, look, there's not a ton on the guy. But the other thing is, is that you the the biggest thing you have to get your team to a point where when a team makes a quarterback change, it isn't automatically panic and go away from the things that have been working for us. Because that's what seems to happen to this team every single time. I have never seen any other team that has struggled to react to backup quarterbacks like this team does. And it's, it is it is not just a Mac problem. It happened under Larry, too. How many times did Virginia Tech come into games with a starting quarterback, middle of the game, change the quarterback, and that was the reason that they lost? That's the reason Carolina lost back in 2019 in Mac's first year because they changed quarterbacks middle of the game. It's just that that is what is maddening at this point. Um, one thing I did want to point out, and we probably won't spend much time on this because you lost 39-10, to 10, but I think there, there are a couple of guys that do deserve to be shouted out. I thought the secondary, you, you saw some, some young guys that provided some promise. I thought Will Hardy was outstanding the other night. He had 13 total tackles, wild two catches, but only th- those only went for 20 yards. I thought he did an outstanding job at free safety after we have watched Cameron Kelly get burnt over and 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 over again. And yes, that was not your the podcast got stuck. That's how many times he got burnt. I thought he 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 provided some hope, and I thought Marcus Allen was really really good. The other night, outside of he 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 gambled on a screen pass, tried to get a pick. Which, to be honest with you, I can't even really be that mad at him for that one either. Because look at where the game was; it was thirty-two to ten at that time. If he picks that ball off and runs it back, it at least gives you some life. He took a risk, but he just missed the football. I I, I thought he played well. I know the numbers weren't great. I thought even Legend Cavazos was solid. There, there is some hope in that defensive backfield. Linebackers played solid once again. I think it's just it, it all starts up front for Carolina, but those guys in the secondary deserve to be shouted out. Yeah, now Will Hardy, uh, as much as a sure tackler as we've had in the secondary and what feels like a long time, he's just a real you know lengthy, rangy defensive back and can just kind of get his get in there and make plays. The thing that stands out about Marcus Allen uh, is the level of physicality he brings in, in in into that into that into that cornerback room. Not afraid to blow up a block, try to get off a block and make a tackle. And that's something that Carolina needs because Tony Grimes just simply doesn't have any interest in fighting off blocks. He'd rather run his mouth. Yeah, that. well, I, I thought that was the best thing you saw from Co- Legend Cavazos. He's a dude that fights in the run game, fought yep. through multiple blocks. You didn't see that 
with Tony Grimes. And to be honest, it's not just Tony Grimes. I thought it's uh, there. It got better later in the year. I thought there were times early in the year Storm Duck had trouble fighting through blocks as well. Yeah, he was out there ducking guys left and right, and so. You know, um, it's really hard to be positive when you get your ass kicked the way we got our asses kicked. But those those dudes, at least, they have something individually they can build off of moving into the bowl game, moving into you know winter ball and and and, and down the road. It's now the challenge of Gene Chizik and the staff to figure out the best way to bring out the best in those guys. Because what they proved on on Saturday is that they're capable guys that can play at this level. Yeah, I, I I think that these are guys that are going to be a part of the room next year, and I think they have great chances to be starters. There could be other guys that are brought in via the transfer portal, but I think both of these guys ha- have a chance to play a major role next year, as well as Legend Cavazos. I think you could see him uh, at least as a rotational corner, if not a starter, especially early on next year. Well, now we have to talk about the direction of the program. Because this is something that came up a lot at the end of the game last night, or or on Saturday night, excuse me. It feels like last night with just how many guys have entered the portal here. But I, I, I'm not I'm not where some people are at. There are and there are a lot more people than I thought there would be that have that that are saying Mac Brown has probably taken us as far as he can take us. But I, I again I, I thought. If there was any hope for the guys on this coaching staff of remaining intact, that should completely be out the window as of Saturday. There is no way you can keep this coaching staff together. I think there need to be massive coaching changes, especially, I mean, the defensive side of the football You've got to make changes. If you're keeping Gene Chizik, you got to let Gene Chizik hire his own guys. Um, and I'm going to be honest with you, and I don't know if you're there, I think there needs to be a hard conversation about Gene Chizik. I don't know if Gene Chizik is ultimately the right guy for this team at defensive coordinator right now. I just, with the way Carolina play, runs this offense, with the guys that... Are there, and I, I don't know if you believe that, you know, if, if you're Gene Chizik, that you can get guys that fit what you want to do better. But I, I don't think that he is a guy that right now should feel like his job is secure. And he, you know, on the offensive side of the football, well, I said it, I think Jack McNell stays, but. I don't know. The the finish to the season, I, I don't know. Mac Brown has to make some really hard decisions here because we said it last year, and I think if if they finish this season nine and five, this season feels a lot like twenty sixteen. And we remember what happened in 2017, 2018. I don't think things will get anywhere near as bad as that with Drake May at quarterback and really just the overall talent that you have on the roster. But I think if you get back even to where you were a year ago at 6-6 six and six after the regular season, then you're probably strongly considering the move from Mac Brown. That's, that's kind of where I'm at at this point. Yeah, I mean, like, look, for the, for the people that think that this is as far as Matt Brown's going to take you, I, I, I don't really... 
getting to the ACC title game as a ceiling isn't isn't a bad thing. I think the bad thing is that it was that you weren't competitive. Like if Carolina would have went there and competed like they were in 2015, you would probably feel a lot more different about the way things are going, and and, and stuff like that. Um, you, you know, when it comes when it comes to Mac Brown, it's if uh, if, if if we were. If, 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 if you're wanting to move on from Mac, you better come with three names that you could tell me could do a much better job at this at, at, at this job with I'm not gonna say with, with with how unique it is where it's it's still it's it's a school that doesn't is just now trying to get up to speed and value football the way that we are the last couple of years because you have to understand that the day that Mac Brown retires, gets fired, quits whatever it is, there will be a a mass exodus and in 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 from from a financial standpoint but just because of how much he means to that university i think the thing is is that look if carolina goes out and they win their bowl game they still they still win double digit games that doesn't happen here very often right that's still something to feel very positive about you're going to be very active in the portal because you have a guy like Drake May who's going to should be a part of every recruiting pitch that you're in when you're trying to get the talent you need here, the depth you need here. I think the issue is, and we can revisit this later, is if we get through this cycle of the portal, we get through signing day, we get through the bowl game, and there are no staff changes made on Mac Brown's own, that's where you can be concerned because Brian Hess, Tim Cross, Dre Bly should not be employed by the University of North Carolina anymore from a coaching standpoint. Dre Bly can have a role from the recruiting. He's very important in the way that we recruit. From a coaching standpoint, he's not a Power 5 position coach. For Tim Cross, no. It, it, not, it, not Power 5. It's just not working out, and Brian Hess... When you look at the injury history this program has had since he became and and our, and our inability to to build monsters up front in the trenches, he's got to go. When it comes to Gene, I think it's I think it's really hard. I I I think I'm more with you where it's you fire the position coaches and you let Gene pick who he wants to come in and work with, and if they don't have any ties to Mac Brown, that's probably a good thing. But Gene would probably enter next year somewhat more on where he's coaching for his job because I he didn't do the job we thought he was going to do this year. And I know their second-half numbers in ACC games were really good for the majority of the year, but they kind of faded down the stretch. And while I've been a lot more critical and I've pushed back more on the talent that does exist on this roster, the talent is better than what he had in 2015. And that defense was better than this defense. And so I think that's where there's there's that frustration level. And so, look, I mean, like I I I know for me as a as a as a Tar Heel fan, my belief is has never been as high as it's been since Mac Brown came back. I've never believed that the things that we want to achieve on the football field are or as possible as they are with Mac Brown. So you should still remain confident that he's the right guy for Carolina, but you do want to see him make some adjustments and make some changes because we haven't had the level of success for him to be stubborn and stay loyal to his guys. Well, that's the thing. That's the thing that I think everybody's scared about right now is this is a dude that is uber loyal to his guys. He has been for years, and it's not just the coaching staff. It is the players as well. 
and it's hurt him. There's there's no doubt in my mind that it has hurt Mac Brown how loyal he is, especially later on in his career. And look, he he's got I I thought Taylor Vipolis of Inside Carolina, former Toriel receiver, made a great point about Mac Brown and his staff. This is one of the oldest staffs in all of college football. You have to get some younger guys in there that have different ideas. And look, I'm not just saying just add guys that are young because they are young. You need to add guys that have some sort of track record that you feel fit what you want to do. So you have to evaluate these guys. But you need some different ideas in that room. Because it feels like a lot of these guys are stuck in old school football. The other thing, I brought this up to you last night when we were talking about it. Mac Brown has said, look, he is not as hard on players as he used to be when he was coaching the first time around. And I think you want, at some point, you kind of need that old Mac Brown to come out. You need a guy that is going to coach his guys hard, that is going to that that's going to use the bench as a motivator. He's done it, he's done it before. He did it at Texas. And look, I get with the transfer portal, it, it is a much different era. You have to be careful how you use the bench because if a guy does get that dissatisfied with his role, uh it it, it it will turn into I am just going to enter the transfer portal instead of being the motivational tool that you want. So you have to toe that line. But I think that at some point you need a more aggressive mindset because it feels like it, there is there a culture of accountability in this program right now? Like I think that's a fair question to ask, to be no. honest. No, but I think that's that's the thing is that you can still be a player's coach and and be tough on your guys. He was a player's coach at Texas, but was a really tough, demanding coach. And I think this is something that when his time away from TV where he's meeting with these guys one-on-one, maybe that softened the blow a little bit. And I think that's 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 the struggle in, in today's coaching world. It's, it's something that... Uh, you know, it, it drove Roy Williams to retirement. Is that some kids don't respond very well to coaching? Here's my response to that: if if those guys don't respond well to being coached hard, you've got the wrong guys. I want a roster full of guys that, when they're being coached, they are responding in a positive way. They're not shutting down. They're not going and crying to their mama and their daddy. They're not threatening to get into the transfer portal. No, they're going to go in and do the work. And, and so I think that's something that is, it's not just an accountability, uh, from, a, from an accountability issue. They've probably got to start looking at the kids they're recruiting and, and start looking at their values and, and really digging in and watching their tape. How do they respond on the sidelines? How do they, how do they attack every weight session? How do they attack the film room? Because the, the – those are the type of guys that you got to have in to, to to win. You got to have guys like like like. Do you think the Dabos and the and the Sabins and the Ryan Days and the Jim Harbaugh's and the Lincoln Rollins and those guys, they're going to tolerate that BS? No, they're not. 
because they know they could go find another kid that's got four or five-star talent that's willing to go into there and bust his butt to help that program win and get to the NFL. And so I think it's just an all-around thing where he's got he's to find a way to be comfortable and still being the player coach that he is and being the recruiter that he is, but knowing that whenever you walk into anything North Carolina football-related, I'm going to hold you accountable, and if not, there's going to be consequences. We don't. There's no consequences for actions when they when they don't meet the standard. Yep. They just trot the same guys back out there. They keep saying making the same mistakes. We keep patting on the back saying good try. That ain't good enough. Well, it's, it, we. I mean, we had heard all preseason about how the bench was a motivator. How we had depth for the first time ever that we could actually use to our advantage. But then it never it never showed up this year. We saw it. Time and time again with some of the guys in the secondary, with the guys on the defensive line, where the same guys are just getting the benefit of the doubt over and over again. And look, I understand the first mistake that you make, you don't have to go to the bench. But when guys are making the same mistakes over and over again, it's time to pull them out of the game for their own good and coach them up on the sidelines. That's the thing that is just driving me nuts. And look, we don't we are not around the program every single day. To be honest with you, this is a period of time after COVID where not many are around the program every single day. You don't get to go to every practice. So we don't you, you don't see what happens there, but it just seems like you look at some of these other programs, even around the conference, and it seems like there is a lot, a much different approach that is taken to a lot of things. You said it. Look at there. There are guys that coach their players extremely hard throughout college football, and a lot of them are extremely successful programs. This is there has to be a culture of accountability inside of that locker room, or else it is going to be hard for Carolina to take the steps that we we know they are capable of making. Carolina, I thought there were a couple people that were saying this on social media the other night, and they are spot on. The, the problem for Carolina right now is not recruiting. They are recruiting the talent that they need to recruit in terms of star rating, everything like that. To, to be not to, to compete with Clemson, to be a team that could make the 12-team playoff, problem is they are not developing that talent, and the mindset around this team is not where it needs to be. And it has to it has to change. We talked about this year being a crossroads season for Mac Brown. Well, he he made it he made it through this one. This was like a this was like he's driving through a neighborhood. He made it through the first four-way stop. He's got another one coming right up that he's going to have to navigate again. It's not it's not a hot seat situation, but he he has to start making some strides especially at his age or else you have to start looking for who will ultimately be his replacement. Well, we have to turn to the transfer portal next. Believe it or not, 10 guys have entered the transfer portal 
today with the official window opening. Four announced yesterday, six announced today. We broke the news to you here uh, on this edition. Uh, It is not live, but if you guys uh, did not see it, Tony Grimes is in the transfer portal here as we are recording. We'll tell you about him and the other 10 guys that are in the transfer portal and react to the group that is heading out of Chapel Hill right after this. Stick around with us here on the Heel Tough Blog Podcast. Back right after this. DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL, is my go-to when betting on the NFL this holiday season. The reason why they have all these great ways that you can play with same-game parlays, easy and fast payouts, and player prop options. So if you want to bet on maybe even some of the former Tar Heels, how many rushing yards Michael Carter will have in a game for the Jets, you can do it all at DraftKingsSportsbook.com. Right now, new customers can bet just $5 on any NFL team to win their game and get $150 in free bets if they do. Check this out. Right now, everyone can earn up to a 100% boost with DraftKings stepped-up same-game parlays. Go to the DraftKings Sportsbook app, place a same-game parlay, and combine multiple bets like which team will win, player props, point totals, and more. The more legs you add, the bigger the boost, the bigger your shot to win big. Guys, I've been using it to bet on my favorite team, even though they let me down this past week. The New York Giants, I've been betting on them all season long, and it has worked out well for me. I've been betting heavily on Saquon Barkley. Mike Kafka, can you please help me out and use him a little bit more this week? You can bet on your favorite team, even if it's the Carolina Panthers, at DraftKings Sportsbook. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use the promo code TPPN. Place a $5 bet on any NFL team to win their game and get $150 in free bets if they do. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook with the promo code TPPN. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. There are plenty of ways to find out everything that you need to know about Tar Heel football and basketball. Just go to Facebook, search at Heel Tough Blog, and find the Heel Tough Blog Facebook page and like it. When you do everything, the articles, the podcast, all in one central location on your timeline. Not a big Facebook user? Head over to Twitter. At Heel Tough Blog on Twitter, make sure you give it a follow, and you can follow the personal pages of our talents here at the Heel Tough Blog, at HTB Anthony for Anthony Pagnata, myself at HTB underscore Josh for Josh Marlowe, and at Hack Zubber two for our recruiting analyst Zach Hubbard. Hey guys, welcome back in Heel Tough Blog Podcast. Anthony Pagnata, Josh Marlowe with you. So it is time to dive into the list of 10 players that have entered the transfer portal for the Tar Heels today. The most significant, as we told you, was Tony Grimes, former five-star recruit, the headliner of the 2021 class originally that reclassified to the 2020 class. Did play, of course, as a true freshman. Started a few games at the end of that season. And then, of course, was a starter in every game that he was healthy for each of the last two years. So Carolina loses not only a starting corner, but also Cameron Kelly announcing that he is entering the transfer portal today as well. 
One difference for him, he is going to play in the Tar Heels bowl game. Mack Brown did say uh, during his press conference on Friday night before the ACC championship game that if guys uh, are willing to give it their all in practice um, and are showing things that uh, he, he and the staff like to see, that they will be out there for the bowl game against uh, the Oregon Ducks, uh, which we, we've kind of breezed over that. Uh, I guess that, but we'll we'll react to that, of course, a lot more here uh, as we get closer and closer to it. But if you didn't know, Carolina selected for the Holiday Bowl uh, in San Diego, the San Diego County Credit Union Holiday Bowl. Um, they will play that, of course, in Petco Park. That used to be a bowl game that was played in Qualcomm Stadium, but uh, with Qualcomm Stadium uh, pretty much being a complete dump. Uh, they had to move that game, and so uh, Carolina will play that game on December 28th at 8 o'clock against an Oregon team that comes in 8-3, and three, a team that will be looking to bounce back from an embarrassing loss to Oregon State in their final game of the regular season. And as I mentioned, Cameron Kelly will be available for that game, but also another guy that has started every single game that he has been healthy for for Carolina in that defensive backfield at free safety each of the last two seasons. So uh, those two, I, I think those those are the most impactful. Chris Collins also enters the transfer portal uh, for his final year of eligibility. Uh, and, you know, he had started a few games towards the end of this season, had started sparing, you know, on and off throughout his career. Really more of a rotational guy, though, at uh, now the jack position that Carolina had this year. He had to take over, of course, when Noah Taylor got hurt. And then your guy in the preseason, a guy that you thought was going to be uh, much more impactful than he was, and probably a big reason why he is leaving. Rod Dilworth also enters the transfer portal at linebacker. Um just from that group of four, I think that's easily the most significant guys. I think Grimes and, and Kelly, because of just how much they played, and you know Grimes, as as I said earlier, I think it's not only the impact that he he has in the program, but the impact that his dad could have on the state of Virginia um, moving forward in terms of recruiting. I think that's that's probably the most significant, without a doubt. Yeah, and and to be honest with you, I'm not really all that butt hurt about it. Um, I I've said for the batter latter part of the, the the latter part of the last year and a half, Cameron Kelly's on a starting power five safety. No, no, I I agree with that, and I think with Will Hardy's emergence, I think Cameron Kelly kind of knows that. Um, that he's, he's he's at this point, he is better than me. As for Tony Grimes, I'm gonna be flat out honest with you. Um, he's got a bad attitude. He's a guy that's all about me, not about we. Um, and his inability or his his lack of wanting to play, make plays in the run game really was a sour put a sour taste in my mouth because that that's what makes the great corners great are the guys that 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 want to be that 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 type of guy that can go downhill and, and and fight off a block and make a tackle. He wants he wants absolutely 
no part of that. And so I and I do think with some other guys that are emerging in that secondary, like you mentioned, you know, Will Hardy for, for Cameron Kelly. I, I really loved what I saw from Marcus Allen uh the last game, game and a half or so. I think this might be for the best for Carolina as for Ra Ra. Um there's another bold prediction out the drain for yours truly. Um I will do the cha cha for Ra Ra no matter where he lands. And who's the other guy you want me to focus on? Well I asked I said Chris Collins. I feel like Oh that's- God, hell no. Not even Someone actually brought up a tweet I sent out from the first game against uh, Florida A&M where I just simply tweeted, get his ass off the field because he was getting blown up by FCS offensive linemen. Not going to miss him either. Yeah, I, I mean, I think with, with him, he was just a guy that you, you would have liked to have maybe for depth at that jack position. But ultimately, I mean, if he's standing in the way of playing time for some of the younger guys that you have there, you, you you can't let him stay in if if you need I mean you got to find playing time for some of these other guys Malachi Hamrick should be playing over him um, Noah Taylor is is a guy that's applying for a waiver you would imagine that you know they they are hoping that that clears for him and then Jacoby Cowan showed some good things at the end of the year and he could potentially fit in that position as well so I think that one you know makes sense. Uh, Tony Grimes, you know, look, I, I think you saw it, it was hit and miss for him, but it really felt like that was one I think we all kind of expected in a roundabout way. We knew that this was a guy that did not seem content with how things were going. We, of course, remember the incident earlier in the season with Noah Taylor where uh, he pushes a Notre Dame player out of bounds, was clearly a penalty. Uh, they, you know, Noah Taylor says something to him and he throws a punch. Um, he, he's a guy that's kind of been – it, it does seem like he is a dude that has pointed fingers at times. Um, and it just – really the main thing is is he has not grown since he was a freshman. Um, I, I think he is basically the same guy. Um, to be honest with you, it almost seems like he's taken a step back. And part of that, I think, is a bad reflection on Dre Bly as a coach. So that ties into what we were talking about earlier. His his loss will hurt for sure because now, look, Legend Cavazos, Marcus Allen, they have to be the guys. If Storm Duck, you know, we don't know what Storm Duck is going to do. Is, is Storm Duck going to return? We don't know. We have no idea. At this point with the transfer portal, we have no idea what anybody is going to do. So we have to just kind of sit back and wait. Uh, if he comes back, then, okay, you have to figure out between Marcus Allen and Legend Cavazos unless you go and add somebody in the transfer portal, um, which I think is also an area that Carolina will look. They've they, That's where they found Cavazos. That's where they've, they've gone before to find other corners, Kyler McMichael. Um, they got out of the transfer portal. They tried to get Bryce Watts out of the transfer portal. He never played for Carolina. But that's been one of the positions that they've sort of frequented uh, when they've gone into the transfer portal. So I wouldn't be shocked if they look there again. And then it, with Rara, I mean, look, I think it's just as simple as he sees the two guys that are in front of him. Seems like Cedric Gray and Power Eccles are here for the long haul until they run out of eligibility. And I think that he wants to play now. And he feels like he has the skill set to play now. Um, I think, you know, one of the things that he ran into was that and again, this probably reflects more on Brian Hess than anything else. 
He just did not seem to have the weight on him in order to play the linebacker position at an extremely high level just yet. And maybe he goes into a system that works a little bit better for him. I think that could ultimately uh, lend to a better outcome for him than he would have had if he stays at Carolina. So uh, we'll, we'll we'll see. Um, he's a guy that I you know I'm with you. I think wherever he lands uh, or he lands, Carolina fans will be keeping tabs on him, and will of course hope that he has success. Just like all the other guys that have entered the portal today. A couple other names that are in there. Of course, Jacoby Criswell, he announced yesterday that he was going to be in there, officially in there today, already being projected to Arkansas, which I got to tell you, I am a little bit shocked by. I know Malik Hornsby entered the transfer portal. Cade Fortin doesn't really seem like he is a legitimate option moving forward for them. But K.J. Jefferson is still there. And again, with, with College football eligibility, it is tough to try to figure out how much eligibility these guys have um, left. So I I think you know him moving on makes a lot of sense. The other guys I think all make sense too. Jaleel Taylor, a veteran guy that has one year remaining. He, of course, was banged up in the bowl game last year. Didn't really play much this year. Um, Carolina... Pretty much, you know, good good amount of defensive line depth there. They should be able to sustain that one. DeAndre Hollins, uh, latest Sean DeAndre Hollins. Uh, he, he is, uh, of course, a guy that has been at Carolina for a long time, five years. He will go on for his sixth season. Uh, did not play much this year. Really, the last two years was sort of faded out of Carolina's plans at cornerback, so makes sense for him. Dontavious Nash, guy that flashed in the spring, was forced into a starting role with all the injuries. Never really saw him after that. Didn't see him much even in fall camp. Um, and that, of course, uh, led for led to him not playing much at all. Uh, really just a special teams guy throughout this year. And even that, he, he didn't really play much on special teams. Tymeer Brown, a uh, guy that uh, played just three snaps on special teams uh, throughout his career, two years at Carolina. And with the guys that Carolina has coming in in the recruiting class at corner uh, that fit the slot, fit that smaller corner uh, mantra, I think he was probably looking and saying, I probably won't play much, so he heads out. Then another guy that was extremely banged up in his time here, Kendall Carr, could never seem to get healthy. Uh, Of course, now behind a a bunch of guys at that tight end position, Julian Randolph, a three-star coming in in this upcoming class, probably leads to his decision to enter the portal as well. So, those are the 10 guys that are in the portal. Articles up on the website about every single one of those guys. Make sure you head there and check out those breakdowns. I go into uh, what they did at Carolina a little bit more in those breakdowns, and I tell you a little bit more about the outlook at those position groups for Carolina moving forward. What the losses do do to this Tar Heel football team as they head towards their bowl game and the 2023 season, ultimately. Uh, so all that stuff on the website, HeelToughBlog.com. Also, Carolina lost a, a uh, commitment in the 2023 class. Joshua Horton, three-star defensive lineman, did uh, flip his commitment over to Miami. This was something that has been coming for a while, but it is a loss for Carolina in a class where they were trying to add to that defensive line depth and Horton was a guy that was having a really good senior season down in the state of Georgia, so we have an article up on the website about that. We, of course, have an article up there telling you about Carolina getting selected for the Holiday Bowl, and 
If you want to, I know it's probably painful. Go back and read the takeaways from the ACC championship game loss to Clemson. Uh, all on the website, heeltuffblog.com. Plenty more stuff coming up as well. Basketball side of things, Carolina dropped their fourth straight game to Virginia Tech on Sunday. Armando Baycott banged up. DeMarco Dunn is out for an extended period of time with a broken bone in his hand. So a bunch of stuff going on around Tar Heel basketball. Josh has he covered on the website, heeltoughblog.com. That's going to wrap it up for this edition of the podcast. Uh, make sure you guys uh, rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen to your podcast. Check out the Four Corners podcast as well when you do that. But for now, I want to thank Josh Marlowe for hosting with me. I want to thank you guys for listening. And as always, go Tarians. Hey guys, Anthony here. We want to thank you guys for listening to this edition of the Heel Tough Blog Podcast. If you could, make sure you head over to wherever you listen to your podcast, find out where you can rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast, and go ahead and do that for us. The rating and reviewing, that helps us to move up some of those rankings, and the subscribing, that is for you, so you don't miss any editions of the podcast coming up. We look forward to you being a part of the Heel Tough Blog podcast family moving forward, and thank you once again for listening to this edition.